Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. So my friend and colleague is the founder of Leadership Smarts, a Colorado-based leadership development firm that combines leadership best practices and coaching to turn managers into the best boss ever and executives into inspirational role models that can scale and grow the company. Patty is an inclusive leadership evangelist that helps leaders inclusively to foster alignment up, down, and across the organizations to serve them. Patty is the author of The Art of Alignment, A Practical Guide to Inclusive Leadership, and The Versatility Factor Profile, An Assessment for Gender Intelligent and Inclusive Leadership. So, Patty, welcome. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too. So I, I want to get love talking about this topic. So it's oh, really for me. And it's so pertinent and so timely. And with the new book out, et cetera, I'm just excited to dive in and share some of the insights and the research and the work that you've been doing in this important area. But before we do, we're going to go back to the beginning. Because People First is all about the leadership journeys that we are all on. And none of them, I've realized, are the straight line path from A to B. Invariably, there are winding loops, dead ends, turning circles, whatever. So when you go back to elementary school, when you were sitting there and the teacher had asked you to draw a picture of what you were going to be when you grew up, what did you think you would be doing as an adult? You know, in elementary school, I... um I had this notion of some kind of adventurer. You know, at one point in my career, I was a geologist. And I just loved traveling and visiting places. I lived in other places overseas growing up. And I just wanted to be like my dad, you know, going around the world, meeting people, um, learning new things. So I kind of visualized myself like that, like an engineer, a scientist. And right now, I'm a social scientist. So I, I migrated from earth science to social science. So I'm still carrying that frame of mind, that frame mm-hmm. of reference in my, in my life. Seems like it's curiosity. Yeah. So what was yeah. the pivot point then that moved you from that initial aspiration to actually becoming a social scientist? Well, you know, all along in my life, I was always a bridge builder. So like I lived in South America. I was a middle child in my family. And I was always helping groups understand each other. That was just kind of like a natural thing that I fell into. Even my elementary school teacher told my mom, in Patty's class, those classes are really bonded. So for example, I recently organized a uh, high school reunion with 33 of my friends, and we went to Italy together and spent a lot of time. So how many people actually go on vacation like that with 33 friends from high school? So that just gives an example of that. And so when I went to school, when I went to work in geology, was working in the petroleum industry, I would be watching how people talk to each other. And uh, I would see, oh, we're proceeding with something that makes no sense at all. And I used to just try to figure it out. Like, what can I do to help us tell the truth or do what we need to do in this particular instance? Usually it was those kind of high stakes moments where you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to drill this well and it's going to be dry or whatever. And um And I got fascinated by that. So I started studying it kind of on the side. And then I realized that you could actually do this for a living. You could become an organizational development consultant. And when I saw organizational development as a discipline, I'm like, oh, my God, people are paid to do that. So then I went back to grad school and it's been doing it ever since. It's like just kind of how I see the world. And it's brought that natural talent um, into a place where I can make a difference with it. So that feels really good. So I know um, in your work, you focused extensively on gender intelligence. What does that mean? 
Well, gender intelligence, you know, uh, first, first of all, I want to say I was born the fifth of six girls in a family. And what I recognized as I eventually moved into my career in oil and gas and in geology, where I'm working with a lot of men, was that there was just a whole different culture in that feminine culture versus in the masculine culture of the uh, you know male-dominated field of science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And what I came to uh, learn was studied uh, John Gray and men are from Mars, women from Venus that time period, you know, was that there's a whole different language, a whole frame of mind, a whole different context of how you, how you actually act and operate in a primarily feminine environment versus a primarily masculine environment. And what I desperately wanted to do was build a bridge so that we could be in the same environment, that we could take the best of the feminine environment and bring it not just women to live in their feminine environment in a man's world, man's world, but have the men take advantage of some of the wonderful things that show up naturally in a feminine environment. Like if men go into a feminine environment, they op operate in a feminine way often. Or women come into a masculine environment, we operate in a masculine way. But could we blend the magic of those two, what I call versatility, so that we create this inclusive environment that we can bring all of who we are, that I don't have to leave my feminine at home or I don't have to leave my masculine at home. When I go and come home and work as a mom or work with other women, for example, in a feminine environment, how can we blend those two aspects so that we have all of our humanity? That's what creates the inclusion. So for example, now, I mean, I don't know if it's okay to answer like a next question. I don't know if you have another question, but. It brings to mind, um, you know, my most recent book is called The Art of, Art of Alignment, A Practical Guide for Inclusive Leadership. And one of the principles in there is the principle of versatility. What is versatility? Versatility comes from the word versa, which means to turn. So mm -hmm. in Latin, you turn, like turn, yeah. you know, universal is turning, right? And so in versatility, you're turning you, you know what masculine energy is, you know what feminine energy is. And you're able to turn toward masculine energy and turn toward feminine energy in order to solve the problem. Whether you're male, female, gay, lesbian, transgender, no matter what your gender identity or your, or your frame of mind. And it really truly is Taoism, like the, you know, the yin-yang energy. But in our, in our language, we call yin feminine, we call men, uh, we call yang energy masculine. And so we're learning how to, to turn from the masculine to the feminine. So the reason why versatility is a concept for alignment is that oftentimes if we're trying to pursue alignment on a team, alignment is where all the team is as fired up to do something. So we're rowing together, we're, we're amplifying each other's contributions, we're working in concert like gears that flow together, not grinding, right? Mm -hmm. To create alignment, if I move toward alignment in a versatile way, that means that I'm paying attention to the masculine aspects of structure, of facts, of data, of the one solution, while I'm also paying attention to the feminine part of the community, of nurturing, of the feelings of the participants. So if I just focus on the facts and objective data, I will only reach alignment so far. In order to reach alignment, I need to be paying attention not only to the facts and the best solution, but how do we feel about this? How does it align with our values? How have we included all of the all of ourselves in moving toward this? So that versatile approach is conducive to creating true alignment. Not only that I'm doing this intellectually, I think it's the right thing to do, but I feel it's the right thing to do. So when I get into my heart and have that alignment between my head, my heart, and my gut, I can move. Boom. I'm not conflicted. 
right? So alignment is about creating that sense of bringing our full selves, all of our facts, all of our feelings, all of our information in order to make really sound judgments that feel good. So when I walk away, I'm not walking going like, there's something off about this, you know? Yeah. I love the way that your language is talking about the whole versus the constituent parts. But I'm conscious around how do you get individuals past the stereotype, you know, word association yeah. that comes with um, male or female energies and so on. So how do you get Yeah, that is such the, a hot button right now, you yeah. know, too, especially, right? Because people are aware now we have the 28 ways to describe ourselves on Facebook, you know, like it, and having those descriptives that are, that are not so binary in uh, uh, the male-female kind of way. So the, the one thing that I teach people around is to understand that masculine is not male and feminine is not female. So there's a difference between stereotyping, which is where we expect a woman to be feminine and a male to be masculine. That's stereotyping. So we're taking this archetypal way of being in the world, the masculine way of being in the world. That masculine picture comes from our our historical context of being in environments where there's a lot of men and we have said, okay, when there's a lot of men, what shows up in that picture, right? Mm -hmm. So we think of like fathers and Kings and soldiers and these environments create the masculine world, right? But if you put women in that world, they operate that way. So when we think of it as an archetype that anybody can live in, like, in fact, you don't have to be a person. I can look at a chair and I can see the masculine archetype is is there in the structure that holds the chair up. But a good chair has the feminine archetype, the, the cushion that holds us, the, the, the cocooning of us in the chair. So you don't have to be male, female, to be anything to understand that masculine and feminine are uh, equally valid and opposite energies. So the structure is the masculine, the hard part, the firm part. And then we have the soft part, the feminine part. Those are completely opposite, but equally valuable in making a chair, right? Just like we have facts and objective data that is the masculine part. And we also have the organic part, the flow, the, you know, the, uh, the juice in it, right? <laughs> That's opposite, mm-hmm. right? Without both of those opposites, it's not as strong. So we could have other words beside masculine and feminine. It just happens to be the words that are part of our English la- language. That's why I created the word versatile. I'm trying to recoin that term to mm-hmm. deprogram people from thinking you have to be masculine or feminine, or if you're male or you're transgender, whatever it is, right? That we can all have this whole, the, the, the whole, the versatile world, which encompasses everyone and everything. And, yeah. and also the whole opposite energy so that we're in balance. Opposite energy is what keeps us up straight. You know, we're not okay. pop culture, you know, like that. So let's go to the punchline then. What does your research show as the benefit from being able to tap into the masculine and the feminine? Well, you know, I'm not done collecting all that research, but I am, I have created an online profile called the Versatility Factor Profile. And it defines, uh, it takes equal and opposite words, one more masculine, one more feminine, as has been validated by many people. They would say, yeah, this is more masculine, this is more Mm -hmm. feminine, and they're equal in valence. Like, this one's not more positive than that one. So, for example, being frank is more masculine, being um, diplomatic is more feminine. You know, Mm -hmm. that frank is just say what you mean, don't, you know, it doesn't matter, speak from yourself. The, fe- the diplomatic is more feminine because I'm paying attention to the impact on other people as I'm saying it, right? 
So both of these things are equally valuable. A person would take this assessment and they would say, to what degree do I describe myself as frank or as diplomatic? Ideally, what we would see is high scores in both. Like mm -hmm. it goes back to like, here's the data. Would you rather have $2 or $1, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you have two equal dollars, why would you only want one? So mm -hmm. for most people, we recognize that having two things that are equally valuable is more valuable than just having one, right? So that's kind of my empirical data of like, that's how the world works. But I'm doing this analysis and saying, okay, if you self-identify as more masculine or more feminine, do you also self-identify as having a better team, you know, in terms of like my team's performing? Or if I'm a salesperson, I'm selling more. If I'm a teacher, I'm having better classroom outcomes. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to get a lot of people to answer these questions to see if they're more versatile, if they have both masculine and feminine strengths, do they actually succeed in their environment? Now, I think that maybe not. Maybe women who are more feminine or men who are more feminine don't succeed in a, if they're soldiers, maybe they're not better soldiers. I don't know. But I also wonder, would soldiering be better if it had that, you know, if there were more people valuing that, right? So it's all this kind of question I'm unpacking. And I don't mm -hmm. have a lot of empirical data, but I'm looking for people interested in operating in a versatile way that they just intuitively know they want to have this balance. So then by running that assessment, we get into the question, we talk about, well, why if they, you know, why wouldn't they describe themselves this way? So sometimes you have men who don't describe themselves as some of these feminine attributes and they go, well, I think I'm like that. And I said, well, why wouldn't you describe yourself that way? It's because they have put this stereotype. Well, if you're feminine, you're, you know, and mm -hmm. they block themselves from it. Do they really want to block themselves with, from it? Do they want to block themselves from being diplomatic? Why would you do that, right? So that brings that question to light so that we can examine where are those balances? Where are those imbalances as an individual or as a team in, in pursuing what we're pursuing? So once I have awareness, and it sounds like the tool there will at least give me a stake into the ground as to which way my implicit biases or my natural tendencies are, then it, it comes as I'm thinking about it, well, it's the context then in future situations, which pocket I pull from. So or is it an and? Uh, uh, help me understand. So I'm in a situation. How do I decide if I need to go more masculine or more feminine in that moment to ensure right. a better outcome? Well, I think the first thing is to understand that these opposite energies exist and that they're va it's valuable to balance them in everything. So, for example, in this interview, would be it's important to balance. What are we trying to do in the amount of time with how we're saying it? How connected are we to our heart? So in every moment, there's this kind of balance we're trying to achieve. Here's the thing, though, with opposite energies, you can't necessarily do it at exactly the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to focus on one more versus the other more. Yeah. One, like right now, for example, if we're getting close to the end of the time, then we get to our, I say, you know, become more Republican. Like, okay, there's more rules now, you know, <laughs> I'm going to pull that out. We're going to do that. You know, so there's times where the masculine energy is more valuable and times where the feminine energy is more valuable. And what we want to look at is what is our preference? What is our comfort zone? For example, I work with a lot of coaches. Coaches need to learn how to close, how to create action. And a lot of coaches are really good about letting people flow in their coaching sessions, but they get to the end of the coaching session and what did they really nail down? You know, So they need to strengthen the masculine aspect of their coaching. So for me, it's this awareness that once you build the awareness, it becomes 
a principle, like a guiding principle where I'm, mm-hmm. where am I guiding myself? I'm guiding myself to balance. And if I know, you know, I can be too, I can talk too much. I can go too fast. Then I need to move towards slow down. Right. <laughs> so that opposite energy is noticing where am I off balance and how can I develop the balance? So for example, right now, I'm working on my own feminine energy, my heart, my body. How do I really lean into that aspect of myself? Because I've always been one of those like go-getter, working all the time, bring myself on. I think that's that's one of the silver linings of the work from home because I've noticed for myself it's that ability to slow down. I'll admit I hit snooze on the alarm this morning twice just for that ability Mm -hmm. to slow down. But what you're describing there is a thoughtfulness before, during, and after every interaction who do I want to be and how do I need to show up for this person, this decision, this conversation? And then during it, monitoring how, how is it going, but also how am I going? And then mm-hmm. thirdly afterwards, instead of just rushing to the next Zoom meeting or the next call or the next whatever, yeah. pausing and saying, did I deliver on my intent at the beginning? Yeah. And operating in a versatile way is a principle of how to operate. So for example, I have a principle for designing events. My principle is design tight, hang loose. That's a versatile Ooh. principle. Say more about that tight, hang, design, design, tight. Tight, design tight, hang loose, right? Okay. So design tight means that I have programmed, I have a spreadsheet and I program every minute what we're doing, why we're doing it, how I'm going to get that group to get, come together, what's the outcome we're trying to create, you know, what's the mood, et cetera. So there's a lots of design. But then when I'm in the meeting, it's flowing. It's I'm hanging loose because things are going to show up I didn't plan for, you know. And I do have in my tight design, I have like, okay, for every half a day, I've got 30 minutes that is unprogrammed that I have my buffer zone that allows mm-hmm. me to do it. So I've designed in my versatile thing. For me, I have to think about the feminine in order to get it there. You know, I have to plan it in. I have to plan in my vacation in Mexico on the water where I do nothing. I actually have a book called The Art of Doing Nothing right? Feminine, like relaxing. I'm like, who needs a book on how to do nothing? I need it. Yeah. I'm, I'm very masculine oriented and I need to develop this in myself to be who I want to be in the world, a heart centered, connected, inclusive person. If I don't include your feelings, if I don't include, I don't see you because I'm not connected to you with my heart. How we get so far. So so 2020 has turned into the ultimate leadership crucible at all levels. It doesn't matter whether you're yeah. the most senior leader in your organization, the most junior leader, the leader in your family, the oldest child, the youngest child. It's impacting us totally. in all facets. And how do you see this yeah. playing into the soap opera that is 2020? Well, you know, I um, I guess I'm going to go back to like this, you know, this book I'm writing about alignment. And I feel like right now, Alignment is really hard to achieve because we're all in our homes and our Zoom rooms and, you know, we're, we're disparate. And then not only that, everything that we did before, we have to redesign, like how we're going to meet, what platforms we're going to talk on, you know, and all the different things that we're going to do. Are we going to go back to the office? For example, I have a client who developed, built this big, beautiful office, and now they're not sure if anybody's even going to go back there. They built it to grow, but like to grow what, where, you know? So all of those decisions have to be redone as we move toward the new reality, or let's say now we've got the 
Black Lives Matter. We want to do something about racism or about inclusion and about our culture. People are awake to that now. How do we get people in a room and get into real honest conversations about it to make it happen? Well, I go back to the art of alignment. I've laid out three principles of which versatility is one, uh, four steps, and what I call the five C's of how to collect ideas in order to make these agreements. And ideally, we're making new agreements all along the way. Like right now, one of the things we need to be making agreements on is our clockworks because we don't have these random like drive by the office and you run into people. We have to be in our own little separate thing. So we have to clockwork program in when we're going to meet, how often we're going to meet, what's the spirit of that meeting. Because otherwise, you know, we can't reproduce the, the things that we knew because we just happen to be in the same space. We have to be more intentional about it. Absolutely. It's something that we're working with our clients on who, after the initial emergency drama of work from home, are noticing, to your point, those ad hoc conversations are not happening, the chance encounters, which means that the horizontal alignment across organizations is starting to weaken because it's very much a one-on-one and even in a Zoom meeting, more of a hub-and-spoke experience and transactional because we're not spending time just hanging out over a cup of coffee saying, how was your weekend? What's going on for you? We're straight down to business. And so there is a a slow buildup to a predictable surprise where the initial productivity of, yay, I'm at home, I'm not getting interrupted, has increased productivity. But I think in the medium and long term, what we're starting to see is a decline because different parts of the organization are moving at different speeds. I think you're so on to something there. And it's always been an issue. The system, everybody works in their silos and they get in their, their zone and they're busy. But at least when we're in, co-located and in meetings together, there were so many more chances to resynchronize or notice. Like I noticed, wow, my employee is doing all this work, but it's not what I think they should be working on. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I should check on them, right? So we don't have the, that now. That's why this is even more important mm-hmm. that we have a process and a system for alignment that allows us to align and realign quickly. So I go back to the book is a practical guide for inclusive leadership. We know that we need to operate inclusively. Inclusively, we need to gauge each other. Like if I'm in the HR department, I have to talk to people in IT or whatever the other departments are. Or if I'm on a team, I have to talk to my teammates. So to what degree are we including people of different parts of the organization, the system, so the system can see itself and can make sound decisions. Otherwise, I make a decision and it breaks something in your world. You know, like I decided I'm not coming back to the office. Well, yeah. oh, wait a minute. I have to sign these papers and they're, they're physically sent to me, you know. So, so I'm, I'm curious though, because when you talk about inclusive, inclusivity and including people, my sense is you're not, encourage, you're not um, suggesting consensus, which can slow things down, where everybody has to have a voice and everybody has to say yes. There's a nuance there that I'm hearing in how you describe it. It is. So in the book that, you know, I have actually outlined, what are, what is the level of agreement you need in order to work inclusively? So I, we think inclusively and we think of not even consensus, we think of concordance. Concordance means everybody is completely in agreement. Well, we don't have enough lifetime for that. That's just not going to happen in a business. Most of us would love to pursue concordance and sometimes we magically achieve it. But generally speaking, it's not that desirable because we've spent all this extra time to get to that level of agreement that we didn't need to spend when we were mostly in agreement anyway. 
So then we go down to the consensus level, you know, where most of us are in agreement, we can live with it. Consensus is usually what we're shooting for. But I'm actually okay too with uh, consultative decisions where it's my decision, but I consulted other people. So I'm not in my echo chamber making my decision all alone. So what I outline in the book is what I call voice and vote. So we, ideally, as many people get a voice in the decision, mm-hmm. but not everyone gets a vote. We want to keep vote for the people who have authority over the decision and people they may want to invite or delegate their authority to. Like in a group, let's say we have a board or we have an employee that I've delegated the authority to them so I don't have to make all those decisions. But, we, but that authority in an organization exists for a reason. You know, we have to have the higher level authority person often has purview into parts that mm-hmm. the lower level person doesn't ever see. So that's why we have to run it up and down the chain of command in most organizations for it to be efficient. So in the um, book, I've got these three principles, four steps, the five C's of feedback, but I also have it outlined in what I call three directions. Three directions is alignment top down. So I have authority and I can make things happen. What happens a lot is I overuse that authority. I sell and tell people what to do because I'm in charge. That doesn't really result in alignment. I can tell my employee what to do, but if I've given her something to do that doesn't really fit with who she is, what she's trying to achieve, and there's a misalignment there, I I won't get what I'm looking for from her. So I need to be able to work inclusively with my employees for what they're delivering with me. So then there's, that's top-down alignment. Or if you're in a senior executive, uh, you know, create me sponsor and get, you know, people to become change leaders for different initiatives I want to create. So that information is in the book. How do you use your authority and your psychological size wisely to inspire other people to hold things in an organization? Then we have bottom-up alignment. I, I don't have power and authority, and I need to get somebody above me to give me resources, give me permission to provide something for me or to back me up. So how do I go about that? It's a very different exercise. And then we have sideways alignment. You and I are equal. I can't tell you what to do. You're, you're the head of that department. I'm the head of this department. But my thing is dependent on your thing. How do we achieve alignment there where I can't tell you what to do? Co-founders in an organization would be an example of that. Mm-hmm. So in the book, there's specific, you have this, you know, your, your principles and your steps and your, you know, that give you like a roadmap of how to do it. Then there's what nuances you need to do, depending on where you sit in that, you know, machine of all the parts that are working together with different roles to play. I love uh, that because it's clarity, as you say, and, and we have so many organizations that your firm and my firm are working with that are frustrated at the lack of empowerment or the lack of initiative and drive from employees. And my experience is that lack of initiative and drive isn't missing. It's there. But to your point, it's been tapped down because somebody somewhere in the chain, up, down and across, has continued to do too much. So then I've learned to, well, just sit back and wait. And it's that learned helplessness. And ultimately, it slows us all down. Yeah. And in a time, certainly in 2020, where we need to be nimble and agile and able to respond quickly, as we all did back in March when the first work from home order came out, it was impressive how quickly organizations and areas rallied to make that happen. Mind-blowing, like force change. It's great thing. (laughs) Force change. So, Patty, as we come to the end of our time together, what are the one or two thoughts that or actions that you want people listening to this podcast to, to reflect on and take as a result of this conversation? Well, I want people to reflect on, um, 
the degree to which they are really including people in their decisions. And I want them to understand including people doesn't mean that you have to agree with them. It doesn't mean that you all have to come to the same conclusion, but to what degree are you inviting the people you need to co-create with into the conversation about what needs to be co-creating together and, and coming to alignment. And if there's areas where you have conflict, don't think of it a conflict. Think of this as a misalignment. Mm-hmm. How do we resolve this misalignment? It kind of takes the bite out of it. And if you're finding that you're not getting what you're expecting, you need to learn how to practice alignment as a discipline. We think of it as leadership is just general. This is a little bit more specific. How do I get people in a room to make solid plans and agreements? You just start thinking about that. To what degree do you have that as a um, a natural gift? Some people are quite good at it. Other people, they walk away and they're like, oh my God, hurting cats. I can't get people to do this. Or nobody, you know, so-and-so is not doing this. Or I wish this meeting would go that way. How do, we, how do you put your ideas on the table and include people until you finally come up with an agreement? Mm-hmm. And if you want to do that faster, you know, wait till my book comes out in November. You know, <laughs> it'll give you all of the steps to do so that for some people, having some, a roadmap or a model to work from just gives them a little more strength in going from that divergent thinking to convergent thinking. In a Fantastic. Really Thank you. So The Art of Alignment, A Practical Guide to Inclusive Leadership, available at all booksellers. But in addition to getting their hands on the book, reading it and reflecting and applying the concepts, how can people get a hold of you, Patty? Well, go to leadershipsmarts.com. That's my website. Or if they want to get on my calendar, they can go to pattybeach.com and book, book and get acquainted call with me. So they can talk about alignment in their organizations or what kind of work they might need in order to be better at that skill for themselves. So, Patty, I've appreciated our conversation today. I hope we can get back to our regular in-person breakfasts. In the meantime, the virtual ones will be as valuable. And I wish you ongoing health and success. Thank you. Thank you so much, Morag. I really enjoyed it. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.